So you're grateful this morning for God's grace? Amen. Wow. Grace is everything that God gives you that you don't deserve. Mercy is everything that God doesn't give you that you do deserve, right? And so that's the package, God's grace and, and God's mercy. Wow. Thank you for those, those reminders this morning. There are 1,300 frostbitten miles, mountain ranges, blizzards, hungry beasts, and frozen seas between Anchorage and Nome, Alaska. This awful trek, this lopsided gamble against survival is the ultimate endurance test. Known as what? The Iditarod dog sled race. Twelve huskies pull a sled and its driver through the most grueling, inhuman conditions one can fathom. A woman, Susan Butcher, is a four-time champion whose tough-minded fixation on winning earned her the nickname Ayatollah Butcher. <laughs> in addition to winning the race four times, she set the record in 1987 and broke her record in 1990 with a time of 11 days, 1 hour, and 53 minutes. But that didn't satisfy her. Her goal was to break the 10-day barrier. What a woman. One reporter described her as having, quote, a stiff spine and a stubborn mindset, which is what is needed to endure moose attacks, blizzards so severe for five hours she couldn't see the lead dog, and a sudden plunge into icy waters where she was pulled out by her two mushers. What is most interesting is that a race that you and I would call impossible, she describes as thrilling, especially when you conquer it. This morning, I want to suggest to you that tests and times of testing are a regular, to be expected part of life. Times of testing, time of difficulty, time of challenge. Some people, like Susan Butcher, seek out those kinds of tests. For most of us, we don't find them, they find us, right? Times of testing. Spiritual tests are a necessary, perhaps we should say vital, part of our spiritual life and spiritual growth. Martin Luther said it this way, What makes the man of God is prayer, meditation, and temptation. That's what makes the man or the woman of God. The evangelist Luis Palau said, How you handle temptation will determine the success or failure of your whole life. And I find that for you and I as followers of Jesus, we oftentimes struggle to know how to respond well to times of testing, times of difficulty, times of challenge. And this morning we're going to, through the writing of John Mark, we're going to look briefly at Jesus' time of testing and temptation in the wilderness. I want you to come with me again this morning to Mark chapter 1. And we want to read these two verses in chapter, in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. As Mark sets the stage for us of, of Jesus' temptation. I believe there's lessons for you and me to learn from Jesus. So we're going to look at some of those lessons this morning, and then we'll look again next week. In verses 12 and 13, Mark records the event this way. Jesus, of course, has just been baptized, the passage we looked at last week. 
The Holy Spirit has descended like a dove. God's voice has spoken. You're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then Mark says, And immediately the Spirit brought him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him. And if you know your Bible, you have a question right away when I read those two verses. What's the first question that jumps into your mind? Oh, what about the rest of the story? There's more to it than that, Mark. You only give us... What is that? That's the headline report. What about all the rest of the story? And I'm not sure why Mark is so brief. Part of it may be his mission to get into the action, because he wants to present Jesus as the servant in action. And so maybe he's in a hurry to get there. And so if you want to know the details, probably in all fairness, we ought to sneak over to Matthew's Gospel, right? And uh, Matthew fills in the gaps of the story, what, if you've read your Bible, you know to be true, but Mark skips right over it all. In in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Matthew fleshes out this experience in the life of Jesus. And he says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him along into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give His angels charge orders concerning you. And on their hands they will lift you up so that you do not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it's also written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You ever buy a new Bible and you can't get the pages apart? (laughs) Come on. I finally broke down and bought a large print Bible for my 71-year-old eyes. There it is. And it's driving me crazy. Again, verse 8. The devil took him along to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to serve him. And so I want you to think this morning about this this time of testing, this time of temptation in Jesus' life, and discover with me some lessons that you and I need to learn from this passage. But before I do that, I want to place this kind of in time and space for you. And so there's a map I've prepared that shows you kind of the big picture of Israel, right? you got the big picture, the Dead Sea, you can see that little bit of blue there. And then here's a close-up to give you perspective on where is this wilderness area that uh, Jesus was taken to. And so here, south of Jerusalem, south of Bethlehem, opposite the, the Dead Sea, what this map calls the Salt Sea, is the, the desert, the Judean desert. And I captured some photographs for you, so I want you to see what this part of the planet looks like. 
And so there's a series of pictures. I've got six or seven of them that David's going to kind of scroll through here briefly. And as you look at these pictures, what words come to your mind to describe what you're looking at? What kind of a place is this? Desolate. What else? Arid. Arid? Desert? What else? Hot. Hot. There you go. Dry. Dry. That's what I think. Hot and dry. What else? A lot of dirt or sand or whatever it is. A lot of it. How many trees do you see? None. How much water do you see? None. It's dry. It's hot. It's desolate. It's empty. Uh, It speaks to me of kind of loneliness. Peaceful. Desert can be peaceful. Can be, if you're looking for that, for sure. But this is the place where... Jesus experienced his time of testing, his time of temptation. And I want you to come with me this morning, as I said, and I want to suggest to you some key principles that speak to me as I read this portion of Scripture and and read it in all four of the Gospels. Well, actually, three of the Gospels. John doesn't mention it either. Um, But the first big thing that we're going to talk about this morning is... My conviction that testing is God's plan for you and for me. Does it make sense that testing was God's plan for Jesus, that it might also be God's plan for you and for me? Absolutely. And so there's some some thoughts and ideas that, that flow kind of out of this idea for me, that testing is God's plan for me. And I want to suggest to you this morning... That our ability to face temptation lies in our understanding of God's purposes in times of testimony. God has a purpose and God has a plan. And part of His plan for you and me is times of testing. That means there's going to be times of challenge, times of difficulty, right? For Susan Butcher, I had told a butcher, she was looking for those tests to test her skills and her, her abilities. And as I said earlier, more often times than not, tests find us rather than us finding them. And so my first thought is this about testing being God's plan for me. This was no accident that Jesus found himself in the wilderness. He wasn't tricked. He didn't wander out here by mistake. The devil didn't make him do it. Any Flip Wilson fans from the 1960s, remember that line? The devil made me do it. None of that was true. How did Jesus find himself in this wilderness place? How is it that Jesus found himself in this place of testing? How did that happen? Well, Matthew and Luke say that the Spirit led him into the wilderness. Mark, I don't know, my translation says Mark, or it says the Holy Spirit brought Jesus, brought him out into the wilderness. What word does your translation use there? Brought out into the wilderness? Sent? What else? Drove him out. What translation is that? I don't know. (laughs) Any other words? Impelled. When you hear the word that Cheryl said, driven out, or the word that Beth said, impelled, what do those words imply to you? Force. Forceful action. The the word in the original language is kind of, in some ways, it's a fascinating word. In some ways, it's kind of a fun word. 
It's a combination of two words, the word ek, which means to, to go out, be out, out of, and the word balo. Does that sound like any English word you're familiar with? Ball. Ekbalo. The idea of the word is to toss out, to throw out. It's a word that is forceful. I like that word impelled. That, that's kind of the word that I wrote in my notes. The Holy Spirit thrust him out, impelled him out, threw him out into the wilderness. This word ekbalo is the same word that Mark uses 15 times when Jesus cast out demons. It's a word of force. And I just think, wow, the Holy Spirit forced, thrust out, impelled, drove out. This, this was not an accident. This was not some mistake. This was God's purpose and God's plan for Jesus. And, and you want to set this this moment in time, last week we talked about important moments in our life. You want to set this moment in time in the context. What's the context of this moment of time? What has preceded it and what follows? So what has preceded this time of temptation in this desolate, lonely, arid, dry, hot, desert place? What's preceded it? Well, John the Baptist came on the scene. John the Baptist came to prepare people for the appearance of the King, the Messiah. Repent? Why? The kingdom of God is at hand. That was John's message. And he was baptizing with a baptism of repentance, calling people to turn to God and follow Him and respond to Him. And so John has prepared the way for Jesus. What followed next? Jesus came to be baptized, identifying himself with those who were turning to follow after God and to turn their hearts back to the Lord. And so this moment of testing is preceded by John's preparation, Jesus' baptism, the coming of the Holy Spirit, God's declaration authenticating him, my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now he's in the wilderness being tested. What follows? His ministry, exactly. What follows now is Jesus begins his ministry and Jesus steps onto the stage and says, same thing John said, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Believe the good news. And so this, this critical moment in Jesus' life was a part of this thought that testing is God's, was God's plan for him it's God's, God's plan for me. My second thought is, not only was it no, this was no accident, the point of testing is to do what? To prove the value or worth of something. The reason you put something to the test is to prove its value or worth. Any of you taken a, ever taken a car on a test drive? Why do you take a car on a test drive? Make sure you're going to like it. So what are you testing about that car? Maybe different people would test different things. Have you ever noticed... Maybe this is just my experience. Have you ever noticed that when you go on a test drive with the car salesman, he turns the radio on? He wants you to be impressed with the speakers and the music. And the first thing I do when he turns the radio on is I turn it off. Why do I do that? 
Because I'm mean. No. Why do I turn it off? So you can hear the engine. I want to hear the car. And, and then the other thing that the salesman does, he has a pre-planned route he's going to drive me on. Which I never take. No bumps. There's no bumps, Dave. You are correct, sir. Why are there no bumps? One smooth ride, no rattles, calm. So, and the other thing they never do is they never, their pre-planned route never goes on the freeway. So I deviate from the route, get on the freeway, go up to speed, make sure the radio's off, and shut him up so he's not talking to me, and I'm doing what? Listening. I want to hear what kind of road noise. Anyway, the, the whole idea of a road test is you want to determine the quality and the value of the vehicle you're considering buying. Are there any failings? Are there any shortcomings? Any of you ever take a test to get into college? No, I know you haven't taken that test yet. You will someday, trust me. Um, but when I went to college, I had to take the ACT because I was going to a college in Indiana. Most, people, most of my friends took the SAT. But the whole point of the test was to determine what? How smart I was? Well, kind of. But the point of the test is to determine if there's any shortcomings or failings in your education thus far. That's why some of you had to take dumbbell English, right? <laughs> right? It, it, you know, I won't ask for a raise of hand. Uh, back there in the back, I got guys waving at me. Dumbbell English, hey. What? Why were some students required to take that basic 100 English class? Because the test revealed some shortcomings. The purpose of tests is, is to determine the quality and the worth of something. Now, of course, when Jesus was tested, there were no shortcomings. There were no failings. And so, in Matthew's account, you have Jesus responding to Satan with Scripture. The Scripture says this. The Scripture says that. Man shall not live by bread alone. Don't tempt the Lord your God. There's probably a lesson in there for you and me in terms of the temptations in our lives, right? The value of having Scripture hidden away. There's value in that. Someone has well said, I think, that Christians are a lot like tea bags. I don't know if you're a tea drinker or not. I, I like tea. I've kind of graduated to coffee in the last couple of years. But how do you discover what's in here? You have to put it in hot water. And when you put a tea bag in hot water, you discover, is this a black pico tea? Is this a green tea? Is this an orange tea? You put it in the water, and the hot water brings out what's inside, the flavor. And so someone has said, Christians are like tea bags. You don't know what's in them until you put them in hot water. <laughs> and so the whole point of testing... Here's Jesus experiencing a time of testing. And the purpose of testing is to show the quality or worth. How does Jesus fare in this time of testing? Perfect. Really well. Answering right directly to the temptation, the testing that Satan is giving. That's what God wants to do in your life, in my life. To bring out what's in us. Why does he want to do that? Who benefits from knowing what's in us? We do. We do. 
When you went to college, you back there who were waving your arms about dumbbell English. When you went to college, you probably thought your high school education well prepared you for college, right? But the test kind of revealed there was area of needed improvement. God's testing in your life and my life does that too. So Jesus' testing time was no accident. The point of the testing was to prove the value of the word. And one of my observations is this, that God always tests those that he uses. One of my mentors used to say, God hurts the most those he uses the best. Is that good news? Well, I'm not sure it's good news. But God tests those whom he uses. You think of any illustrations of that in scripture, by the way? Are there any illustrations of men or women of God going through times of testing? Moses. Moses. So here's Moses, and he gets kicked out of Egypt from the pinnacle of the prince of Pharaoh's daughter. He gets kicked out of out of Egypt, and where does he find himself? Wilderness. Kind of like the pictures we saw a few minutes ago. Wilderness. And he was there for several weeks, right? 40 years in that wilderness. And of course, during those 40 years, he rose to significant prominence and returned to that role of being a priest. And no, he was a shepherd taking care of sheep and goats. Moses went through a time of testing. Even the burning bush was kind of a time of testing for him, wasn't it? Who else experienced testing? Job. Yeah, big time. We're going to talk about him in a minute. Anybody else come to mind? Joseph. Yeah. Here's Joseph, the favored son with the coat of many colors. And his brothers take him, toss him in a pit, sell him into slavery. He goes into Egypt. He spends three years in prison. That whole preliminary part of his life before God raises him up to a place of prominence and significance. One of my favorite characters in the Bible when he says to his brothers after the, that whole experience and that whole story that I hope you're familiar with, we don't have time to talk about all the details. But the pinnacle of Joseph's life is when he says to his brothers those amazing words. You meant it for evil, but... God meant it for good. Wow. And, and the list just goes on and on. Jeremiah tossed in a cistern. Daniel. Yeah. Right out of the gate, Daniel chapter 1. What's his test? Here's all the king's goodies, all the king's favorite foods. No, nope, time out. We're not eating those. Wow. That was bold. That was brave. Then came the command, you can't pray to anybody, you can't request anything from anybody with the king. Daniel fared pretty well through that, didn't he? God seems to always test those who he uses. Paul experienced any times of testing in his life? How about Peter? Times of testing? You know what, if you're reading through the Gospels with me, one of the things you... You read uh, in the Gospels is that great statement where Jesus says to Peter those wonderful words of encouragement and hope. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> God tests 
those whom he uses. And so one of the, I guess, encouraging things is, if God puts you through a time of testing, if God puts you in a place where the external circumstances of life are testing you, and you are tempted to fail to trust him, tempted to fear, tempted to anger, whatever the response is, that, that temptation to sin, when God takes you through those times in your life, what is he up to? He wants to use you for his glory. He wants to use me for his glory. Times of testing. God seems to always test those that he uses. Always. And then my fourth thought is this. Tests are designed to strengthen and to enable. God uses times of testing in your life and my life to strengthen and enable us. Did Jesus need to be strengthened and enabled? Well, your first immediate response is no. He's God in human flesh, right? But there's a key phrase there that I just used. He's God in human flesh. And so did the human side of him, did it need strengthening and enabling? And the Holy Spirit's enablement. God wants... God uses his times of testing to give you and me confidence in him. It's in times of testing, times of temptation, that God wants you and me to have greater confidence in his person. Who he is. His character, his nature, his qualities. We sang this morning about his faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Have you found in the difficult times of life that God is faithful? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We sang about his goodness this morning. Have you found in the course of your life times of difficulty, times of challenge that God has proven himself to be good? Mm -hmm. I have. And there's a phrase in that song, I think, Maggie, help me if I got the words wrong. But doesn't it say something about his goodness running after me? What does that imply? God doesn't leave me alone. He's, you know, he's chasing after me, if you will, with, with his goodness. He wants to demonstrate his goodness in your life and my life. He wants to increase our confidence in who he is. We have a God who is sovereign. He rules and reigns. He's in control. We have a God who is faithful. He does what he says he will do. We have a God who is good all the time, man. All the time, God is good. And more times than not, it's in the time of difficulty and challenge that we discover in new and fresh ways who our God is. Confidence in his person. He also wants to develop in your life and in my life confidence in his power. We sometimes doubt that God is able. We sometimes doubt that God is up to the task, the challenge. And God wants us to discover in the times of testing, the times of difficulty, the times of challenge, that he is more than able. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all we ask or think. He has created the heavens and the earth with his outstretched arm. There's nothing too difficult for him. 
Do you believe that this morning? You got anything going on in your life that's testing whether you believe that or not? Got anything going on in your life that's causing you to wonder about God's goodness, God's love, God's faithfulness? You got anything going on in your life that makes you wonder if God's able? It's the times of testing that builds that confidence. Confidence in His person, confidence in His power. And then God wants to increase your confidence and my confidence in His plans. God has plans for you and for me. We sang about His grace this morning, then that great passage in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we need to keep going from verse 9 on to verse 10, because verse 10 says we are His workmanship, His work of art, His masterpiece. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which He has before ordained that we should walk in them. God has a plan for you and for me. Good stuff He has planned for us to do. Do you have confidence in God's plans? We tend to want to have our plans. And we tend to want us to plan it out. And then our prayer is that God would come along behind and bless our awesome, wonderful, great plans. Is that how it works? No. God privileges us to come along and be a part of His great plans. Do you have confidence in God's plans? Do you have confidence that God always does what's best for you? That's always His plan. To do what's best. And so it's in times of testing, times of challenge, times of difficulty that we discover afresh that we can fully trust our God. James says this in chapter 1, verses 13 and 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I mean tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And so, the circumstances of life, those situations and circumstances that come and put me in kind of a test environment, it's what's inside of me that comes out. My own lust, my own desires, my own ambitions that respond to those circumstances. And that's where temptation becomes sin. And the beauty of Jesus' temptation is he came through, as someone, who someone said the word a few minutes ago, perfectly. No shortcomings, no failures, no sin. I would that that would always be true in my life, right? We have a gracious, gracious God. So what happens when you go to the grocery store or 99 cent store or wherever you go? And the cashier gives you back a dollar too much change. What's the temptation there? Keep it. I'm not saying anything. So here's a test of my honesty when I'm given that extra dollar. And do I respond and say, well, 
I guess he failed freshman English, freshman math class rather. So that extra dollar becomes a point. The testing becomes a temptation. What happens if I lose my job? It's a test of whom I'm going to trust. Where's my trust? Where's my confidence when I lose my job? Anybody here ever gotten laid off? Anybody here ever gotten fired from a job? I'm not the only one, see. And what happens when you walk out of the door after being fired or laid off, whatever form it takes? What happens when you walk out the door and realize your source of income, your ability to provide for your family, has just been cut off? How do you respond to that? Anger? Fear? What's that? Sad, sure. The test provides opportunity for us to be tempted to sin. I lost my job. What do I do now? Oh, here's one I love. If a driver cuts me off on the freeway, I experience a test of my self-control and the temptation to what? Screaming. Screaming. Anger. Get even. Temporarily I had a guy on the freeway this morning. I'm probably the only one who comes to church on the freeway on a Sunday morning. But I'm on the freeway this morning. And of course, the traffic on the freeway is non-existent. There's not that many cars. And I'm in the number two lane, which I always drive in the number two lane. That's my lane. And I'm coming up the 605 freeway, and this guy comes up behind me. No cars in the left lane. No cars in the next lane over here. He comes up behind me and is so close behind me, I cannot see the radiator. He's that close behind me. And he stays there for miles. And inside of me, this thing is starting to... So do I break check this bozo? Have you ever done that? (laughs) How many break checkers are in the room this morning? Yeah, me too. Me too. (laughs) Oh, I can tell you stories about break checking. That's not a good idea. Yeah, you know, here's the problem though, Dave. My water container's been broken for two years and it doesn't have any water in it and I'm too cheap to replace it. So I know. So and I'm on cruise control. So I gotta stand on seventy miles an hour. I'm in the number two lane. Everything's wide open for this bozo. I mean this this gentleman behind me. And and I'm thinking, I gotta preach on testing and temptation this morning. Fail. Fail. So I just kept it at 70, kept looking at my mirror and go, what is wrong with this guy? You know, it's just like, anyway, he finally gave up on me, wanted to go faster, finally went around me, but that stuff just pushes my buttons. I don't know about you, just, oh, how do we get off on that? Oh, that puts it in my nose. Um, if I find myself in bed with a life-threatening disease, it's a test of uh, whom I will trust. Or even if I will trust. Oh, I could tell you stories about that, not because of my own experience, but others that I've known. If I lose money in an investment, anybody ever lost money in any investments? How come you keep saying no to stuff you've never yet experienced in life? It's going to happen someday. Trust me. Hang on. Another 20 years. 
I know. Yeah. Give me a couple bucks, I'll invest it for you so you can find out what it's like to lose it. So if I lose money in an investment, I'm being tested as to my confidence in God and His ability to provide. Testing temptation. You know, I shared with you, I think it was last week I shared with you the story of my bike crash with Ed Trenner. Was that last Sunday I told you that story? Down in Dana Point, pastor's retreat a week, and uh, he was dodging to avoid a car, short, long story short, and broadsided me. I broke my pelvis, wound up in bed for six months, well, couldn't put any weight on my leg for six weeks. And so in the midst of those circumstances, I faced several um, temptations. One was to get angry at Ed. You know, my wife still lets me go bike riding with him, but I have to ride behind him. Um, <laughs> the other issue I had to deal with was I was riding my brand new bike. I had just bought this bike at Christmas time, December, and this is the first week of February. This was my brand new, the first bike, I, my brand new bike. I had just bought it, and now it's scarfed up, sliding on the street with me. Um, so now I'm. So I not only had a test kind of in my relationship with Ed, I had this materialism thing, you know, what's a bike? You know, um, it presented all kinds of things for me. The circumstances of life, the times of testing that you and I experience are going to bring out what's really in us. That's how it's going to work. By the way, is there any scripture that talks about how to respond to times of testing and temptation? Correct answer, of course, to that question is yes. The next question is, can you can you tell me one or two? There's a whole bunch of them. Yeah. Okay. There's no. Where's that found, Victor? Very good. I'm impressed. First Corinthians 10.13 says, There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is, what? Faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able. But with the temptation, do what? Make a way to escape that you may be able to bear. That's a great promise, isn't it? How about James chapter 1? Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, perseverance, patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be what? Perfect, complete, lacking nothing. The Phillips translation says about those trials, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. You ever think about testing and trials that way? That they're friends? That's a tough call. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 and 7 says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. There was a church group of believers under heavy persecution. Various trials. So that the proof of your faith... Be more precious than gold, which is perishable, 
even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's a mouthful. There's probably a couple of sermons wrapped up in that one verse. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. You ever get surprised and caught off guard by stuff in life? Constantly. Peter says, don't be surprised by the stuff that comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But that's almost a funny verse, isn't it? It's like, why are you so surprised as though this is some strange thing that's happening to you? We ought to expect it. 1 Peter 5, Peter talks a lot about testing and difficulties. He says, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, there's our word grace again this morning, the God of all grace who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Is that a great promise or what? God God wants to do that in your life and in my life to strengthen us, to enable us, to confirm us. Our ability to face temptation lies in our understanding of God's purposes and plans in testing us. So how are you responding to times of testing? You got testing going on now in your life? I do. I got stuff. Mm -hmm. Do we ask, why me? What did I do to deserve this? Do I grumble and complain? Often. Do I grip my teeth and endure it? Or do I thank God for the opportunity to count it all joy when you encounter those trials? Claim the promise this morning of becoming perfect, complete, lacking nothing because of time of testing. Pray. Confess wrong attitudes and responses. Commit to the right attitude in the future. I got a phone call Thursday morning from a friend of mine. Actually, I think it started with a text message. He texted me. He lives in Virginia. And uh, he texted me and said something along the lines of, I need to talk to you, but I can't talk right now. I'm so angry, I am shaking. And uh, he was on his way to an appointment and wanted to talk to me when he got back. And when, uh, I forget if he called me or I called him, unimportant, but when we talked, he shared with me two events that had happened simultaneously almost in his life. He's responsible for a um, chain of communication that impacts hundreds, potentially even thousands of people. And he was tasked with being the communication link. And one of his friends thought he knew the information. And so he went public with it on Facebook before it had been confirmed by the source. And my friend was just so angry because one unconfirmed information was being disseminated and two his friend had jumped into the loop he was just beside himself 
And then the other event was similar, an email exchange with someone. And my friend is responsible for this area of responsibility and a given clear communication of what he wanted to be done and what should not be done. And exactly the opposite of what he wanted was being proposed. And he was not getting returns to his phone calls. And he was shaking with anger. So the test of his relationship with his two friends, one who violated the chain of command, if you will, the other who's not responding to his phone calls, um, that time of testing in his life led to anger, shaking with anger. The test and the temptation. And that happens in your life and my life. And God is at work in times of testing. And ultimately, what it's all about is discovering what's really going on inside. And I think in this, this time of this virus thing, for example, it's a time of testing, right? We're being tested, if you will, with this, this disease, this virus. It's real. It's not fake. People get sick. Some people get really sick. Sadly, many people die. How many people have died in our country? 500,000. I personally have a question as to whether they are dealing truthfully with numbers, but that's a whole other subject. Um, but this is, this is the time of testing. And part of the test for you and me is... Who do we trust? Where's our faith? Where's our confidence? Are we trusting the Lord? Or do I trust hand sanitizer, masks, vaccines? Got my second vaccine on Friday. I'm cootie free for the rest of my life. Isn't that cool? I don't know that. Did you all see the picture that Maggie posted? She filled a whole carload of people to go in to get their vaccines. I think they have five people in their car, roll down the window, jam their shoulder, and off they go. But our confidence in this time of testing is our sovereign God. And we sang this morning about His goodness. We sang this morning about His faithfulness. We sang this morning about His grace. And the bottom line in all that you're experiencing in your life, even take this virus and put it on the shelf, other stuff going on in your life, What is that time of testing revealing that comes out? Faith, trust, confidence in God, confidence in His person, confidence in His power, confidence in His plan. Lord, that's my prayer in my life. Deepen my trust and confidence in You. Lord, we are so prone, I'm so prone, to trust myself. I'm prone to trust my great Insights, my great wisdom, my great thinking. I'm prone to trust me. And Lord, I'm grateful for the reminder this morning that you are the one that we can trust. Your goodness, your faithfulness, your sovereign control. 
And I would sometimes wish it were otherwise, that tests were not part of your plan for me. I'd love to avoid tests. But the testing that you bring is part of maturity, part of growing. And as James said, as we count it all joy, we let that perseverance have its perfect work, that we would become complete, lacking nothing. And so in this year of following Jesus, this year of growing to know Him a little better, growing to follow Him a little more closely, growing to love Him a little more deeply, teach us afresh in those times of testing, those times when we're tempted to respond with fear, with anger, those times where we're tempted with the lust within, the desires within. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. To see Him in all His greatness, His glory, His power. Help us to learn the lessons of Jesus. He's our model. He's our example. He's our Savior. We're grateful for Him this morning. We give you thanks this morning for Jesus. He went through this time of testing, this time of temptation, perfectly. No lack. No no inefficiency. Help us, Lord, to learn the lesson. Help us to value the time of testing. Help us to value that for our own growth, our own maturity. And even out of those times of testing, that we might bear greater witness to a lost world of your love, your grace, your compassion, your power, your greatness, your glory. Do that in my life, in each of our lives, is our prayer together. In Jesus' name. Amen. The one thing Pastor Roy didn't say, Jesus was our living hope. So stand as we sing the story of the gospel. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. And he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he is our living hope. Let's sing.